0: guys welcome to your weekly installment of exhaust your podcast about why nothing feels possible we have got another double feature movie one for you this time with return guest josh bregman what's up josh
1: hey thanks for having me back
0: yeah so this one's gonna be fun i've wanted to do this one for a while and after we did after john and i did the good one i knew i wanted to do another scorsese movie but i really wanted to look at two movies that came out in the same year, in the same summer. And that is Michael Bay's Pain and Gain and Scorsese's Wolf of Wall Street, which are, try to do similar things. And obviously Scorsese succeeds more, but it's interesting in the cultural moment that they arrived in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that's like, what, three years after Occupy Wall Street?
1: Yeah, two, two to three years after Occupy and like four or five years after the crash. yeah. Depending on how you count the crash. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so these movies are both sort of like reckonings on the moral license and greed that featured in part of the narrative of how we ended up in the financial crisis. Bay's movie takes a look at sort of two bit con men at a gym in Tampa called Sun Gym. And of course, of course, he takes a look at Jordan Belfort, a sort of uh, B-tier corrupt Wall Street guy um, who did a bunch of insider trading and hit a bunch of money in like Swiss banks or whatever. And both true stories. Both true stories. Yeah, that's the other part of it too. Yeah. And I remember seeing these movies when they came out. So like when I think of 2014, I think of um, gym culture being on the rise because of the ascendancy of CrossFit. Right. So that was like exploding at that moment. Gym mm-hmm. culture was speaking of also like fitness YouTube was ramping up because Instagram hadn't yet totally cornered that. So that was a big thing that was going on. I was working in the fitness industry. I was working at a gym in Tallahassee where there were older bodybuilders who had worked out at the Sun Gym in Tampa when those guys were there. And I worked in a cutthroat gym sales environment. And so we all went to see these movies and All of us were like, pain and gain, that's basically us. Like, we totally understood. We were just like, yeah, it sucks being a trainer and making no money in Florida. I would totally rob any of my rich clients if I could get away with it (laughs) to get ahead. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I should ask
1: you about that because that's one thing I was curious about the movie because I haven't had that experience. And one of the things that I found annoying about the writing was that it was hard to Hook into anything about the protagonist, about Mark Wahlberg's character, but if you have, you know, coming from that background, if that's what you're, so you felt that was kind of true to life, or he, yeah, exactly, because
0: like, yeah, when you're in that environment, so like the movie takes that movie takes place in the '90s, and the '90s is when like, so the guy who owned the Gold's Gym that I worked at in the 90s owned like 30 bally total fitness when that stuff okay. was like taking off right so it's yeah. happening in this big bubble economy for that and you know when you worked when the way i worked as a trainer was like grueling i made 8 dollars a session eventually 9 but i was a 1099 Jesus. the sessions for were like an hour hour 30 minutes yeah. 30 minutes 30 so minutes, but yeah. if you could pack as many people back to back as you could you could do okay. Of course, I had like two other jobs, right? I was a bouncer and I sold supplement, right? Uh, So, and I made, at at most, I made 17 grand in one year. You know what I mean? So you go see, there's a lot that doesn't need to get explained about the Mark Wahlberg character who sees himself as sort of downtrodden as um, somebody who believes in the American dream. That's the running line. He believes in fitness. He believes, he's kind of this like entrepreneurial Ubermensch who also happens to be a complete idiot Right? right. But he has all of the aspirations of somebody like a Jordan Belfort in Wolf of Wall Street. He just doesn't have like the savvy and he has the wrong kind of root. So I totally understood that character. Now, a few years removed from that context, when I went to rewatch it, I was like, I wanted to be in a theater so bad so that I hadn't, I just was there was nothing else in my field of view so that I could experience any kind of ego death. Because there was like no way to relate to the character or what they wanted. Like, it wasn't clear to me what was so appealing about what they were doing or why they were doing it, other than they were a moron.
1: Yeah. I mean, that it was so poorly set up in the film. He just immediately, you know, they intro it I, and talk about the American dream and his, you know, he believes in fitness and working hard, getting what you want, all that sort of thing. And then almost immediately he jumps to like, we're going to like kidnap this guy and take his money there's no seed planted for that. Um, it's just bad cinema writing, you know, like there's no sort of like any even idea that, Oh, you can actually, I was even like, can you actually get someone to sign away all their possessions? Is that, that's even a thing you could do? Like, I didn't know that was, so yeah, they didn't set that up. And so it just was kind of a shock, but also I was kind of interested in what you're saying though, is like, do you have that resentment toward your, clients at some level like is there do you kind of grow to hate them and like
0: it depends on on two but totally absolutely i mean Mm. it's like anything you're working in that environment you're going to have people that you love to see that make your day easier i had clients i would move heaven and earth for because Mm -hmm. working for them was a you know it made doing going the extra mile like feel like nothing. And then I had other clients where like, I had one client who was so bad. I remember being in the women's fitness area and she was so excruciating to deal with. And somebody had switched the playlist to like mid-tempo 90s alt and losing Uh my religion came on and it made me feel so low. I almost burst into tears watching her squat in the Smith machine (laughs) in the women's fitness zone. (laughs) I had to, like, move out of eyesight in the mirror so that she couldn't see me, like, welling up. Oh, it's dark.
1: Yeah. You know? yeah,
0: and, like, that's what it was like. And and all of us were like that. All of us were, like, living on the margins. Some of us were selling steroids. Like, dudes brought steroids and guns to work. Like, I mean, that was nothing. You know, I remember one time, like, you know, having to put my lunch into the staff fridge and there was just this sort of crushed box of Sour Patch Kids, and I looked over to my boss, and I was just like, "Hey, man, can I move your HGH to the other side of the fridge?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah," you know, because that's where, well, that's what he was hiding his syringes in, uh-huh. you know. And so that's okay. So
1: trying. one other question: his that there's like that very point supposed to be poignant scene where he hits on his uh, pretty female client, and she doesn't get it and turns him down. And then he plays it off as a joke. That also struck me as false, but like, I don't, maybe not having that
0: shit. That shit happens, man. Like, I mean, I never did that. I was in a relationship. I also didn't want the head. Like once I was out of that relationship, I didn't want to shit where I ate, you know, like I was like, I was older than a lot of the other staff there. Like a lot of those guys were in their early twenties. They were still in college. Okay, I was like, you know, I was a few years sober. So I think I was also a little bit wiser for that. And I was like, the last thing I want is for there to be this other complication with a job I'm already coming to. Right. Right. Whereas like they were just young dudes who were fucking like rabbits. So I knew dudes who had access to the gym keys. There was a, a place, there was a nightclub down the way in the strip mall. And sometimes they'd go pick up a girl at the strip mall and then like fuck her on the bench press in the gym after hours <laughs> you know what i mean and then come yeah. back in and tell everyone about it and like we would not like everybody would high five in the back office like totally right, grimy right. like absolutely like misogynist like yeah, sleazy like, as fuck dude yeah it was like Glenn Gary glenn ross with barbells man
1: right well that's what i when i was watching it i was like come on like that's the one thing he would probably know how to do you know like
0: mm-hmm.
1: um But, you know, and like, maybe it's not right to, maybe I should give them more credit that it's a bit of characterization that he doesn't know how to do that. Like, he's not actually sleazy. He's kind of just monomaniacal. But the character is so poorly drawn that it's like, you can't really figure out what's driving him. I,
0: I totally don't believe the idea that like his character was incapable of sleeping with clients. Like, that's just not how that works. It actually takes a lot of work in certain toxic work environments that are unprofessional. Like I was in to uh-huh. not do that, you right. know, like um, that's, it was a dynamic that I was very conscious of, you know, because I'd also like watched other trainers, fuck that up. And I was just like, that seems like a nightmare. Like right. I don't want so, like somebody blowing up my phone, co- like my finances and all of this, get it, you know, Like, no thanks, man. This is difficult enough, you know? And also, frankly, to add on to that, I didn't have the confidence. Whereas, like, Mark Wahlberg is, like, benching in the low 400s, is cut, like, is in a position of power at this gym in Florida, which is a very chauvinistic culture, just like LA is. Uh, They might have
1: set it up better if it was, like, someone he'd had his eye on for a while and actually had a crush on. Like he could get other women at the gym, but not the special one that he actually cared about. You know what I mean? Like,
0: right, right, exactly. There could uh, have been other ways to inflect the, that desire and to make him feel rejected. You know, there, right. I mean, I did think it was very funny that he, what gives him the idea is an incredibly stupid self-help seminar he goes to, which is probably one of the better parts of the movie. Um, right. You know, because what made me laugh about that is that, of course, what happens to the Jordan Belfort character in Wolf of Wall Street is that he becomes that type of person once he gets out of white collar prison <laughs> for right. insider trading. And I was like, Oh, okay. I can see this. Right. And he already is
1: that kind of person. That's kind of his, that's actually his gift. Like mm-hmm. he can sell you a pen and he can get a crowd riled up and like, right. Right. Exactly. The movie keeps returning to the crowd. It ends on the crowd. Yeah. Like that's the last shot of the movie. Like it's like his effect on, on the marks, on the masses, is like, that's his, he actually does have a talent. The Wahlberg character has no clear talent. He's just got a sort of ambition. Other than he's
0: willing to go the distance, but it doesn't explore that. Like he's really to follow something to its end, which is ultimately his downfall. Like he is actually a doer as he says over and over again, right? Right. The movie just doesn't do anything thoughtful with that. Whereas we get the juxtaposition in the Jordan Belfort story with Scorsese that's similar to what happens in Goodfellas, where everything Jordan Belfort does to provide for his family, which is the initial impetus of him getting into penny stocks in the first place, Mm -hmm. uh, is what destroys his whole life, including his family, two of them, two families that he goes through in that.
1: Right, right. And when he has a chance to turn away, he he ultimately can't bring himself to do it because it's not who he is. Yeah, and he can't help but be who he is. So it kind of has it has that classic dramatic tragic structure, even though it's a comedy. Like he's just driven by that thing. Whereas like the there's no I mean that's the other thing about the about pain and gain. There's no moment where there's moments where like Wahlberg's co-conspirators sort of say, Hey, this is taking you a little too far but there isn't a moment where he can like actually walk away or rinse his hands of it or. Mm-hmm. And then doesn't. Yeah. And then just can't
0: bring himself to do it. For yeah. whatever it Cause that seems amazing in Wolf of Wall right. Street when he's so just he- like, I'm not fucking going anywhere. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. some of those scenes are the best because Leonardo DiCaprio is so funny and so insane. And in the movie yeah. is just like so incredibly debauched. And my favorite thing, however, about the let me sell you this pen yeah. or sell me this pen is that the um, guy played by John Bernal, who's got the goatee and does some of their money running for him. And when he goes into prison, he doesn't snitch. That's oh, right. the first person he does it with when he's trying to get these guys together to create their own firm. And right. he's like, sell me this pen. And John Bernal is just like, takes it from him. And he goes, hey, write something down for me. And he goes, oh, good. He's creating need, you know, like that's part of it. And that's what was interesting is that he's going to all of these people at the end who want to be like him and don't have the innate sort of swagger or street smarts that this dumb motherfucker that he hired who like sold quaaludes to teenagers and tried to hit on their girlfriends in his mom's backyard when he was 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah, that that like the look on their faces, the crowd's faces, as he's doing the "sell me this pen" thing, at the end of the movie, is with such longing and such desire to be him, this guy uh-huh. that anybody with an internet connection would know was totally fucking corrupt. Yeah, you
1: know? yeah, no, that well, he had to go to New Zealand, <laughs> right? That's what I thought was great is that it was in yeah.
0: Auckland, you know, yeah.
1: like <laughs> Even, even more. I guess the population you imagine is even more hapless than the American uh, ordinary sucker. Because, like, at least we've got this kind of in our bones in a way. <laughs> like, right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think exactly. of New Zealanders as like it's a that. country
0: of con men, right? As yeah, Melville
1: noticed. Like total hustler nation. Yeah. It's part of it's part of the thing. Even if you don't end up in that kind of a line of work, like you you understand it at some co- core gut level. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And they're all trying to like sell them on the basis of like what's good about the pen. And that's the thing, though. He actually has the talent, and his talent really is to find the emotional needs of his audience and tap into that, which is a good storyteller talent. Like he's, you know, he,
0: because he understood. He was like, they, like he told his guys when he started it. Uh, Stratton Oakmont, which by the way, incredibly funny. That was the actual name of it too. I was like, that's amazing. That's so genius. Like, no wonder why this guy is good. That sounds so waspy. And and he was like, everyone wants to be millionaires. He was like, the local postman wants to be a millionaire. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we would all rather not have to do fucking shit. And like, everything else seems like this thankless drudgery you know
1: what did you in light of that though like what i was thinking about that final shot of the fbi agent on the subway it's like the only time you see any kind of real grimy
0: yeah yeah street life
1: ordinary existence and he kind of looks at that asian couple elderly asian couple and then kind of looks at the floor and i was kind of wondering what the how how did you read that or like what the inflection i was was going to ask
0: you the same thing because i puzzled over that scene afterwards because it really what I liked about that scene is it really hit me, but I didn't know how. Yeah. And I think to me, the reality, first of all, great casting to get the guy who plays the coach in the Friday Night Lights series to be the FBI agent. <laughs> you know, a guy that just looks like he was hatched at Langley. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, this is also a very good actor. I looked at that and I, I all I could think was that at some level he just knew, he had already internalized before he ever met Jordan Belfort. Jordan, Jordan Belfort's perspective on his own life. He's just looking at everyday life and he knows like, he knows it's kind of like a con and that like, he's getting the shit end of the stick too. And here he is. He just busts this multimillionaire guy, brings him down and he's taking the subway with just everyone else. And I'm sure he was like, I feel like a bum right now. That was the expression on his mm-hmm. face, but it was more complicated because it was also this pr- pride about the fact that he had toppled that guy's face too. It wasn't mm-hmm. like beaming through, but there was like a quiet dignity to him as well. A kind of gravitas.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminded me, there's a great movie, One of my favorite movies actually this is quiz show, uh, which is kind of a similar FBI agent, or he's a is he SEC or FTC. Uh, have you seen quiz show? No, I haven't. Uh, it's about, it's an amazing movie, which you absolutely should watch, uh, because it's about the, um, uh, it's a game show fifties. It's also a Scorsese movie or Scorsese's mm. in it, uh, Scorsese, he has a brief cameo in it. And it was a big scandal because there was, a, uh, one of the guys who was actually associated with St. John's Van Buren, his father was a famous poet and he was a professor. He went on the show and won and one and one and one. And he won so much that the regulatory agencies got suspicious and found out it was being rigged in his favor. Uh, That's amazing. And so the story is told largely from the point of view of the investigator. And there's a great moment where he sort of uh, has a head-to-head with the man's father and, you know, to explain his motivation. And he says, you know, he's the government man and his father's a wealthy artist, basically. And he says, you know, well... Taxes are theft and, and, and the G man says property, property theft.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's just like such a nice little moment. Cause it gives you his motivation. And, and in this one, there's a similar kind of thing going on. I think just, yeah, that you get the sense that he's just got it motivated, motivated by that. But also that moment where he says, this is such a nice boat. It's going to be really fun to take it from you. And in a way like that, actually reminds me of the line in Pain and Gain where he says, you know, I'm going to be excited to have your house, but I'm even going to be more excited that you don't have it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, which is kind of an
0: interesting thing, but. Um, no, there's a zero, there's a good zero sum quality to both movies, right? Because that's what you would have right. the moment, the moment before they launched the Steve Madden IP which is amazing. Like that whole thing where they all boo Steve Madden for his fat girl shoes and stuff like that, which I thought was so fun. It's just like a pack of wolves. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like totally unaccountable to anyone else. Uh, yeah. Even the guy whose IP, they're about to launch, but he's like, are you behind on your rent? Good. Pick up the phone. Right. Right. You know, did you get dumped by a girl? Cause she thinks you're nothing and you're not making any money. Good pick up the phone, you know, and you're like, yeah, like, that's it. Like there was there are winners and losers losers and you don't want to get caught on the wrong side of that line. You know?
1: right. And he does understand people in the sense that he, like in his final speech, he says to the woman who came to him with nothing and was behind I mean, I got emotional
0: during that scene, you know? And he's like,
1: I asked, she asked him for a $5,000 grant. He gave her 25,000 and she was totally, and she was like, I love you. And you know, he bought her loyalty, but it was real. Like he, she was in need. He did help her out. Like,
0: who else was going to do that for her was the other thing too. Right. Like these weren't guys straight out of, you know, the Ivies that he was pulling in. They were knock around guys and knock around women who were, basically like lower middle or working class working right. dead end jobs, because he knew that they probably already figured it was all a con and they just needed to get ahead. Right. You know,
1: or get out of the hole at least. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. They were motivated, you know, yeah. they were hungry, yeah. literally. Yeah. And he had that vision. He
1: had also had or that insight into people. And he also had the insight in, you know, the rest of them are these sort of Philistines who don't understand anything about the culture outside of the world that they're, they're living in you know and Mm -hmm. he's like no you gotta understand fashion comes and goes and this is a trend and Mm -hmm. it's trending up and we got to get in you know he has some we it's not clear in the movie how we
0: got that or i mean he knows what he's doing at least for the narrator's sake because he'll explain stuff and then he'll stop himself and he'll be like look this doesn't fucking matter all that matters is i'm about to make a ton of fucking (laughs) right right. (laughs) you know like I mean, that's the thing. The way you sort of, I could understand why so many of my coworkers came out of that movie. That's who I want to be like. Cause when you're in that situation where you're hungry, when you're in the world I was in, which was a lot like Mark Wahlberg, you do know that it's all rigged. And you're right. like, well, it should be rigged for me. Right. Like, why not? That's what's so genius when the FBI agent comes to his boat and he's just like, dude, you got to see what they're doing with these CDOs and these mortgage swaps. Like, it's all crazy. <laughs> you
1: know? Right. Well, that's, yeah. So the, in the post-crash uh, context, that was a really interesting thing because he did bring up the CDOs and the real estate market. And it was the one, like, sort of contemporary nod that I that I caught, at mm-hmm. least maybe, maybe you caught another one. And, yeah, the clear implication that the FBI agent says – look, I'm really here. I'm the bag man too. I'm here because people above me want you gone Mm -hmm.
0: because
1: you're an up and comer and you're a nuisance to the established players in this game. Yeah. And he doesn't make a big thing of it. And it's not, it's not built into that character's motivation. It's never brought up again. And it's also not clear if he's telling the truth Mm-hmm. or if he's just trying to establish rapport by saying hey i'm just it's out of my hands i'm just doing my job yeah because
0: the way he says it is he's kind of like look someone just shat this on my desk like who am i really like you, you we both know right we both know.
1: but we don't know really if that's him doing a colombo thing or like if that's true that he that, you know i think that implication is you know depending on how how much you want to believe it is you know that that Essentially someone talked to somebody and yeah, they're like, this guy's making waves and the established players don't need any smaller fish to become bigger fish. Cause the big fish are big enough. You they've know, got
0: it, they've got it sewn up. They do it legally.
1: Yeah. And so they use the government to eliminate guys like Jordan, but essentially they're all, and I, well, I guess, yes, we, we do get that because the first Matthew McConaughey character Basically, in the opening 10 minutes of the film explains actual the actual stock market. And he's in one of the well-established Tony marble walled. Yeah. Um, what is he right on Broadway? It's like 210 Broadway. Yeah,
0: something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're like right in the heart of the financial district. So yes. And he says, look, we're we're not here to make our clients money. We're here to make ourselves money. And the way that we do that is addicting our clients to ever increasing financial around. assets yeah. yeah yeah so he yeah so he basically says look the system's corrupt and we're we're corrupt like not really corrupt but um just that it doesn't work the way it's advertised and and that's literally the opening shot of the film you get this staid like gravelly voiced wasp explaining like you know how these in, um companies are bringing value to the market and you know whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, it cuts straight to, like, the midget tossing.
0: Yeah, you know. that was,
1: I mean. It immediately level... tells you, like, yes, underneath the, this is the point of view of the film, underneath all this layer of gravitas and seriousness about how we create value is this incredibly vulgar, like, vile, immoral, like, exploitative Uh, Thing going on and then the Matthew McConaughey character says five minutes later yeah we don't create shit we don't build shit like and so
0: yeah I mean it's there you just do the human centipede of financial assets until and convince your clients that their portfolios are going up but really you're just extracting as big of a commission as you can secure
1: right so there's an, an there is a critique of Wall Street embedded there but it's hard to make the case that it's what the movie's about. And it's also- No, I think the movie's- And there's other moments where the darkness of what they're doing, you know, reveals itself or gets Mm -hmm. quickly noticed and then shoved away back into the psychic closet. But like they, um, yeah, Scorsese doesn't dwell on it. I think, I guess I remember at the time, and this was kind of a problem with uh, Oliver Stone's Wall Street too. And it's actually like the classic cinematic problem of making a war movie is it's so um, magnetic to watch that it's hard to it's hard to make an anti-war movie because war is like fascinating visually.
0: Right, right. There's this because, great moment. Jim Shepard, yeah. who did the, the thing on Goodfellas, we use has a remarkable essay on Saving Private Ryan as well where he says, like, just when things are getting bad enough on Normandy Beach, you really start to uh, wish that there was some character that could hold it all together. And the camera slowly pans to Tom Hanks, who's made his entire career on being a kind of all-American good guy no one has any objections to. (laughs) It's like, yeah, this is the drama that you need where you can feel like this can be narrativized, you know?
1: Right, right. And then, yeah, I think Wolf makes it so appealing though it's so much fun they're really fun people even though they're completely horrible people. and they're
0: loyal to each other you know they're, it's like yeah it, it reminds me of it reminded me of actually um sophocles's Philoctety, right huh. where you have achilles son and odysseus go to get philoctetes who they've left on an island for nine years with an injury um so because they need his bow to help end the uh, the trojan war Mm-hmm. and odysseus has all the same characteristics he has in homer's work where it's basically do wrong to your friends do good for your enemies one of the like original definitions of justice in book 1 of the republic that socrates rejects whereas mm-hmm. achilles son thinks that there's a way you should be treated as a man beyond just being a friend. But what's captivating about the do right by your friends and, do, and wrong to your enemies is that it has this level of like almost heroic drama to it. And that's what's so enticing about their world is that mm-hmm. it's, not, it's actually not as bad as the world of Goodfellas where everyone ends up being a rat in one way or another. It's just that Henry Hill is the biggest rat of them all. Right. They stay together when the FBI and the SEC come and they're just like, I don't remember anything. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You know, like they have that mentality. And so I think more than a critique of like wall street or the financial class, what Scorsese seems so sensitive to in this movie. And I really felt it. Like, I think part of the reason why people say like he makes it so appealing is because he does, but I also think it's because he's so like, and he knows what he's doing, but I think he's so morally sensitive, honestly, that he's probably like, this should just be disgusting to you. Like the midget thing should just be disgusting on principle, like as you're watching it. And I see that same cleft where he's taking a look at like what's happened to civic society where the FBI goes, guy goes on the subway and feels kind of shitty about everything he's done despite the fact that these guys are all pieces of shit. And we love these dudes who all hang together, even if they're fucking us over while they, d- you know, is that there is this sort of like, when he says, I make an honest living as they're you know, like, I know he doesn't, but part of me was just like, yeah, back the fuck off. Like he's just trying to get ahead. You
1: know? <laughs> right. And also, as he says, he's not doing anything that the bigger guys aren't doing. Yeah. Out of your scale. Like if you're going to make
0: the art, the harm argument, there's plenty of uh, people out there who are doing more harm. So let me ask you this. Between when you saw it in theaters and rewatching it to talk to me about it now, did anything change for you about how you saw this movie? Can you remember what it was like to see it in theaters? Or I remember in, when
1: I saw it in theaters, I liked it less. Mm. And, um, and I had a lot more fun this time. And I can't tell if that's A, because I've aged, and I'm less of a stick in the mud (laughs) than I was then (laughs) or also because I had just watched it off Pain and Gain which is excruciating
0: yeah so bad I watched Pain and Gain first too and I was just like man this three hours of Wolf of Wall Street really flew by
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's the yeah and so I and I do remember it being or at least thinking it was problematic that or a problem <laughs> that he does make it so enticing and alluring. Like it's easy to walk away from the movie and say, yeah, I want to be one of those guys. And you say, yeah, but he went to jail and he lost his wife. And, his kid. and I mean, even with all of the punishment and retribution, it's still, I think uh, attractive to a lot of, a lot of people would say, yeah, I'll take, you know, I'll take I'll my do chances, three, man. I'll, do, I'll take my chances and I'll do three years in, in like a country club prison for like 10 years of being on top of the world. You know what I mean? That's what I mean. I think like, that's not much of a trade. And (laughs) and it actually reminded me of like the matrix where, which was also like, you know, when we watched the matrix and they're in the austere, like outside of the matrix environment Mm -hmm. and they're betrayed by the guy who wants to go back in the matrix. And he's like, they do it. And he's in a, like a high rise restaurant. He's eating a nice steak. And at the time, you know, it was like exciting to be part of this rebel army or whatever. And I was like, yeah, they're the good guys. And I had a friend who was like, I don't know, man, the steak looked good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't You know, but I think if you don't know the difference,
0: right. Right. If you don't know the difference, right. Or there's no real alternative. I mean, I mean I think that that's part of what I was trying to get at with the, the, the civic dignity thing or something like that is that like, Mm. because the movie is aware that, his punishment is so light and he even says like i started to get worried but then i remembered i live in a country where everyone wants to be wealthy and everyone wants to sell something
1: right
0: you know and he he realizes almost in prison like what his true value is you know Mm -hmm. and to me i think there was something like intensely pessimistic about the wolf of wall street um as fun as it makes everything that it felt more rock bottom pessimistic than some of others, some other things, because like, yeah, we could say that like Goodfellas is definitely saying something about money and society and Scorsese has gone on to say that, but because this movie was coming off the heels of a global economic shutdown, it does seem like it's aperture for concern was bigger is that it was interested in a broader, like decadent culture than even goodfellas was
1: yeah i think that's fair i mean also yeah the the final shot of the movie is him selling himself as a salesman of you know and getting them to do the pen trick and the final actual visual we get is the audience of schlubs who are there trying to learn how to sell stuff so the clear implication is like this just is going to keep going Mm -hmm. like it's in jordan's nature to do that there are people who have that nature the system rewards them until it doesn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And because it never doesn't reward them initially, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. we're going to get this, this is just going to keep going. This wheel keeps turning. And in Goodfellas, there's, you know, I can't, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but they do all end up in jail. Right. And we're dead.
0: Yeah. Or, and yeah, they end up in jail or dead. And um, Henry Hill ends up in witness protection and hates his life because he's normal. Right. That's right. the thing. He has no regrets. What he regrets is the fact that he has to be like everyone else.
1: But there's not the sense that he's like he doesn't immediately go into protection and then start a new racket where he is. No, in real life he does,
0: but in the movie right. he does not. <laughs> right,
1: right, right, yeah. right. But yeah, I think I mean there in there's still still some sense of, you know, retribution or cosmic order, I guess, in that movie mm-hmm. as you might like want to put it. And yeah, in this there's no um yeah there's no it's just gonna keep going like that and yeah it feels
0: open-ended in a different way is i guess what mm-hmm. i want to say is that it's yeah no cosmic justice and in that way the, its world seems bigger
1: yeah right? also yeah. because it ends in auckland right right you know? yeah and that we can just oh uh, yeah i mean it's also yeah. maybe a little nod to american empire like we're kind of just going to keep replicating this model abroad
0: <laughs> right like everybody everybody's in on it now <laughs> yeah yeah
1: um so it doesn't um yeah he can just go somewhere else um yeah no I I would say that's fair I I would say it's pretty pretty pessimistic and yeah I think that final shot you know definitely makes it more about us than him interestingly the guy that introduces him in that scene is the actual Jordan Belfort
0: oh no way yeah that's a little
1: cameo there yeah. So apparently, also he wrote a book, and that's what the movie's based on. And he has a credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was watching the movie, and I was thinking, you know, he probably brags to his friends like, "DiCaprio is going to play me." You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. One of the <laughs> things that he said, DiCaprio is playing me in a movie. You know?
0: Yeah. Um, one of the things he he said, um, apparently, my wife told me this is that he was like, um, uh, the drug stuff in the movie was too tame. And I was like, Jesus Christ, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because that's like the most extreme stuff. I mean, it was a great portrait of an addict, right? Like the moment when Margot Robbie's like, I'm going to divorce you. Right. And I'm taking the kids. And the first thing he does is go find some Coke. Right. And is like angrily doing Coke at her. You know, I was like, this is perfect. Like, that's exactly what it's like.
1: And, and and that is also a, like a metonym and a metaphor for the whole system as well, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. what I was, I was struck by that this time that the McConaughey character said that the beginning, mm-hmm. he said, you're, addic- you're appealing to their addiction. Mm-hmm. This is all about addiction.
0: And like, then he said, he said, you need to do cocaine, and you need to jerk off several times a day. To yeah. To the point where when you're doing it, you're just thinking about money. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: But he's but he was saying coaching, I guess what's striking to me that he's saying to Belfort, like you're you're not just uh an addict yourself, but you're gonna be a drug pusher. Yes. That's the job. You're pushing drugs on people, getting them hooked, and then keeping them hooked and milking them. Like that's all of the all this is. And our entire economy is by implication built on that. So yeah, that's pretty pessimistic and dark for sure, I would say. That's the only time I've seen I mean Scorsese, yeah, I, I don't know if he, like, I'm not, a, I'm not a completist, so I don't know if he's sort of in the gangster films, if he, like, Goodfellas and Casino, whether he sort of, to the extent that, to which he's, like, making a commentary in the wider society or saying this is, you know, a criminal element that we have to keep at bay but is always going to kind of be there because it's really appealing. Mm-hmm. There's something about, in gangster movies you're dealing with, like in Westerns, you're dealing with the inside of the wall and the outside of the wall yeah and and cop shows too like and not just from the point of view of the criminals but like the the cops frequently at least since the 80s there are always people who take the law into their own hands you know so mm-hmm. there's always a discussion about the interior and the exterior, exterior of society and and this we don't really have that like this that's a just, great
0: point. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. I don't know what is inside or outside the law. It just all seems up for grabs.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. And in, in pain and gain, it was like, I, you know, I, I guess it's a useful contrast because it's so clumsy and terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like you can see what a good job, <laughs> what a great filmmaker he is. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just all tapped on. It's just like with voiceover, he's just like, well, that's the American dream. You know, go to, he like gets the death penalty. <laughs> and you don't even find out if he's executed or not or when he's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just like, yeah, you go to jail, that's America. You know, you try and make a lot of money, you go to jail. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not, that's not, that's not what we're, <laughs> you haven't gotten any of the underlying drive of this or the pervasiveness of it we're not there's no sense in which we're all those guys trying to kidnap the wealthy guy and steal his shit
0: like i mean this is uh, is what's interesting about it to me is that the more surface movie did a worse job of making it seem appealing Mm -hmm. than the movie that was basically morally indicting right right way of life, that in order to successfully do that, you have to at least entertain why someone would go about this where Mm -hmm. there's, there are all sorts of like, it seems like unfounded narratively assumptions that go into how pain and gain works, where you're Mm -hmm. never really on the character side, you're just watching them live out the plot, you know, and I think that that's why it was so interesting when I saw it. And I mean, we all, I remember coming back to work, I was one of the last guys to see it. And it was like all we could fucking talk about in the break room. Hmm. Um, all we could talk about with those older bodybuilders it was just like, you know, it is like that I knew dudes who were like fucking taking Cialis because they were off cycle for their test runs, you know? Like, they, yeah. still, they needed to get their dick up for their girlfriends because then they had run too hard a steroid cycle, you know? It was, was, it,
1: was it appealing to them or were they just like,
0: yeah, they, they kind of got it, but it no, wasn't- when we watched it, it was sort of like, I remember talking with everybody and we were just like, yeah, like that makes sense. They get it. Like yeah. we all understood it wasn't like that good of a movie and that certain things were like way too much because it's Michael Bay, right. you know? But I also think we thought it was funnier. That it was like when I watched it this time, all the jokes fell flat. And yeah, I was like, this no, doesn't make sense. Yeah. But when I was in that world, right. I was like, this is fucking hilarious.
1: Yeah. No, the humor was so flat and uh, it was so heavily relying on slapstick. And like, yeah. And I couldn't, I mean, there were maybe a couple laughs in it, but it was just like, it, it also just had the, I mean, that was the thing is like, you know, you're laughing at them as much, um, all the time instead of laughing with them at all. And it was also like Bay's very joyless. Like he, um, mm-hmm. I noticed in the, well, uh, when Jordan Wynn finally succeeds and redoes the company and it works and they're rolling in it, there's like a good time segment and they're having a great time. Yeah. And like, they're enjoying the spoils. Like they're, you know, they got big houses, they're having wild parties you know and they there's a whole series of sequence of that and it's like yeah they i mean you know they didn't they got there and they enjoyed it and then when mark Wahlberg finally takes the house he immediately goes to like protecting it like you don't ever like there's maybe a shot or two of him like looking at the boat in the back or like lounging on the back deck or something but it's also very solitary and sad um, without,
0: without totally knowing it either, without exploring that or that being, it's almost just unintentionally that way because it doesn't right. explore anything. So you just look at it and you're just like, fuck, man. I mean, all I could think about when I was watching it was the famous Ben Affleck commentary on Armageddon, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. or Would you just shut do. up. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so you're telling me it's easier to train oil driller guys to be astronauts than astronauts to drill a hole in something. Right. You just shut up, Ben. <laughs> just shut <Yeah>. up.
1: <laughs> you pencil necks don't know how to use a drill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's such a legendary, amazing thing, um, which everyone should Im- watch immediately. Right. I'll put it I- in
0: the. I'll put it in the bibliography, guys. But the other thing yeah. I wanted to say is, we were talking earlier about how Mark Wonderville's character like can't get with that super hot girl or whatever. That's why it's so unbelievable when he pulls the basically like almost with the Balkan supermodel who or not model, but stripper that he ends up with and convinces her that he's in the CIA or whatever. And the whole point is that she's stupid, but you can't believe that for a second because anybody who had managed to survive in the way that she had would have picked up street smarts at some level. So the Wahlberg character would have had to have been... Incredibly yeah. charismatic to pull that off in reality, and also to make it make sense within the context yeah. of the movie. And you yeah. never really get any of that. Nobody really has to emotionally earn anything that happens in the entire movie. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it, and yeah, and it's so um, sexless because it's so emotionless. Like he can't. I was thinking in the in the early wolf scenes where they're partying and they have the strippers come in and. And it's like 20 of them and they like come in and clash in the middle of the screen. And then there's like rolling around and it's like, there's such a contrast to the Bay strippers and the club. And then uh, he has the strippers come, he gives them free gym memberships for the porn mm-hmm. stars or whatever, or strippers, whatever. Yeah. And they're all like, you know, picture perfect, flawless, you know, airbrushed uh, waxed. Yeah. Totally right. airbrushed, yeah. totally perfect. And, and, the the scene in the strip club with the rock and that woman the 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 russian immigrant like again it's like everything's perfect and gorgeous but totally sexless and emotionless when the in the wolf of wall street one it's like you've got all these strippers but they're they're not like models they're just kind of normal looking women who are just dressed up in lingerie yeah yeah, yeah. like they're not they wouldn't you know get hired to, to, to be in a Michael Bay film, you know what I mean? Right, right. And, and they're like, and then when they're getting partying, they're all like rolling around, stumbling over each other, like falling, spilling things, you know what I mean? It's so ungraceful, it's so clumsy and realistic. And it looks kind of fun, even, even in, even in that regard, whereas yeah. like Bay is just like all on the surface. It's just this untouchable sheen. And and it's also like you in Wahlberg's character He finally, you know, he sets up this scene with this woman where he asks her out. She turns him down. He feels bad about it. And it's like, oh, it hurts so much. And then he finally gets the woman who's basically an equivalent visually Mm -hmm. and achieves the goal. And like immediately, off and his friend, we never even see them have a flirtation or even sex, I don't think. Yeah. Or even waking up the next day in bed together. You know, like there's nothing sexual there's no arrows, there's no desire. And it's like, and his, and he says his main desire is to have a lawnmower. Right. Like, it's not like, I want to, I want to do all this to get the girl. Like, it's not, you know, it's like, I want a lawnmower. (laughs) So it's like, his motivations are totally incoherent. Whereas like with Belfort, yeah, he's a drug addict. He's an addict of every pleasure. And even with his wife who he's fighting with, like she still seduces him in that scene in the, in the nursery. Yeah. I feel like got him on his knees drooling, even though they've been married for some time. She's ha- they have a kid together. He's been having sex with hookers for years now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he can still be gotten on that level because like, that's, he, that's Cause like, he's a what, dog.
0: He's just a dog. He's yeah, you know, he just, yeah, he's
1: a hedonist and he likes yeah. pleasure and he likes sex, and he really does like this. Thing. Whereas you have no idea what Wahlberg likes.: it's No, like and you, you have no
0: idea what holds these guys together or what their relationship is, whereas you right. the right. whole crew that rolls with DiCaprio's character, you get that they've like they've been through thick and thin together, they came up together, like you understand why he's the leader, you know, right. and you get some of their quirks, and they're all also painfully fucking funny yeah like when i saw that i was like that's what it's like hanging out in the sales office at gold's where (laughs) everybody's a piece of shit like no one's respectful you're always fucking with somebody you're always doing something like i remember i remember there's this really homophobic dude let's call him jay really homophobic and one of my bosses like put that together and thought that that was really funny. So he'd do like weird stuff to him. They probably violated OSHA stuff Uh to it. And I remember like Jay's in the middle of closing a sale with two gorgeous women. And the boss P walks up behind him, claps his ass. And he says, Jay, you keep leaving that thing out there. I'm going to have to take me a piece and walks away. And everybody in the back office, like, died roaring <laughs> laughing because he froze and fucked up the sale and got less commission because it was the last day of the month. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, totally despicable, like, grindy yeah, stuff. Yeah. But, like, that's what I could understand, like, the appeal of these guys. I was like, yeah, like, they're piece of shit, but they're your piece of-. You know what I mean? Like, right, that's why yeah. it's funny when the Jonah Hill character is just like, totally gone on quaaludes and like yeah. jerking off in public at the party. Cause he can't like contain himself and he can barely speak, you know, and they're yeah. like, let him finish, you know, right. like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like that, that's like, it's gross and it's funny, you know, it's funny yeah. to see that there are people who, who are, who are intimate with each other like that. Um, right. You know, whereas there is a, painful loneliness like you said to painting it. that go yeah. that it, the movie is not aware of
1: yeah no it's not any kind of satire and he had the material for a great black comedy and really a pretty great satire um and just completely let it slip I yeah meant- also
0: totally uninterested in fitness culture Like, there was so, like, having worked in a gym and worked in, like, a big box gym where you're trying to get a bunch of people in there and, like, the sales environment is cutthroat, there are so many opportunities to, like, understand who those characters are and just, like, daily interactions with, like, anyone there. You could really reveal a lot, but it was, you know, like, a movie that might have, that I think did a really good job with that was The Wrestler. You know, when mm-hmm. he goes to buy steroids in the locker room of the gym and he starts working out. Like, all of that was extremely real. Mm-hmm. You know, like, rewatching that movie while I was working at a gym, I was like, whoever this director is, I think it's Aronofsky, I was like, he figured it out. He, like, talked to right. some people or, like, did some embed somewhere for long enough to put this together, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, he's interested in, yeah, in the people that he's making movie. Like, Bay is not interested in anything except pretty pictures, gaudily pretty pictures, which aren't that pretty. That's that's what's weird. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about story. Uh, He couldn't even decide like who's perspective to tell the story from. Like in the middle of the movie, we jump to the, the victim and then hires the private detective. And then we get going on the cop story. And then you can see in Wolf, like it's so elegantly folded in the beginning of the the investigation plot where Mm -hmm. he first finds out about it and then has the meeting. And then, you know, you're never seeing it. The story, he's the narrator, he's the protagonist. We're always with him. It doesn't switch perspective. And we know
0: that the SEC is like breathing down his neck. And I love that scene where it talks about turning the AC up in the room. And the yeah. guy's just like, is it always this cold in here? And the dude who dumps all the paperwork is like, I don't know mm. what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was like, yeah. yeah, that would be what this workplace is like.
1: Right. But yeah, he doesn't he doesn't seem to yeah, Bay just doesn't he just doesn't give a shit about people at all. And he and he thinks that like having the character say it is just gonna be enough. He's like, I believe in fitness. And it's like, yeah, okay, we get it. Like, it's like survival of the fittest or, you know, fitness in this rat race of a society. But, like, really what draws these guys in, you know, why Why do they care about having a lower body fat percentage or being swollen? You know, yeah. Why is it – how do you get consumed by that? And how does that morph into, like, murdering people? And, um, yeah, I mean
0: – Right, which is truly grotesque and, like – gnarly the way it all happens and it's so it's so
1: (laughs) even that like it was a metaphor.
0: a hilarious
1: real life detail which he draws attention to in the film as a real life detail was that one of the victims silicon rust implants had a serial number which they recovered tied it to the doctor's record and then they you know they figured out who the identity of the victim was again it's like you know, a great irony that he's like undone in a way by the same sort of body obsession, right? Yeah. That um, right, right. Yeah. That motivates him initially, but the film just treats it as like, this is a funny coincidence, this is such a crazy coincidence. We have to, you can literally see them thinking like, we have to draw attention to this as a coincidence because no one will believe it's a true thing, but no one will believe it's true because it's so crazy so let's just be meta about it. But it's like, you know, you just totally blew, you had a great chance to like tie in a theme. You could right. have made it, if you had a theme, <laughs> you could have made this an opportunity to like peg it to the theme, but you don't even know what a theme is, so, you know.
0: Right, right. Well, I remember seeing the every frame of painting guy do his Bay Vision thing, right? I think you sent it to me not too long ago, but I yeah, had seen it, right. I think when that channel first started. Um, or whenever that video first got released, I was like, oh, wow, this is great. Because it really did explain some of the spectacular elements of what's appealing about Michael Bay's films. Um, You know, I remember the the missile twisting in space and the camera moving opposite directions. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's... Yeah, you're like, that is cool. You know, (laughs) like, I get it. That's dynamic. Um, But this movie offers none of that. It is actually a story-driven movie. Like, there's nothing really spectacular about it because a lot of it has to do with characters just deciding and commiserating and doing stuff together um not transformers beating the shit out of each other on a planet made out of metal
1: right yeah you know
0: he can't can't scale it
1: he still uses the tricks he still got there's like a couple low
0: angle hero shots of the protagonist
1: where the cameras moving around in one The direction.
0: opening has some of his tricky camera work, I say. I would think mm-hmm. it's, it's some of the, the opening is some of the best camera work in the entire movie, I would say. Yeah.
1: And then he's got the low angle of uh, Tony Shalhoub coming out of the building and then the jets going overhead,
0: mm-hmm. just
1: like comes over the building. And then, you know, he's got them, the sort of a walking away expressionless from explosions. Uh, which was a, a cliche already by that time. But again, it's like the whole point of that cliche is that they've done something badass. And right, not something
0: like I, horrific or truly like weird.
1: Yeah, and also that it's like the cliche of it is usually that's done by like soldiers or, you know, people who are accustomed to violence. And the whole point is like large explosions behind them are so not not a big deal they don't even have to look right because they're just used to it you know and like these guys are just schmucks who can't even kill someone who's like you know got a blood alcohol level of 0.30 you know what i mean like so uh, there would like it would have been funny if they were shocked by the explosion or like had ducked or hit the deck or you know what i mean like reacted yeah. it would have shown that they were just like amateurish and foolish or or even imitating something they saw in a movie you know they tried to do the walking away thing.
0: And right, then and, it's- and it fucks up. It could have been I- ironizing like that. I mean, let me, yeah. let me ask yeah. you this, right? So we've talked about how vapid pain again is, and that doesn't really <laughs> understand its own material. Right. You know, there's no emotional depth there. And then the Scorsese movie is, like, profoundly pessimistic, even for some of his work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even Mean Streets has, like, this real concrete moral center mm-hmm. that's, like, built around basically the Catholic faith. Right, mm-hmm. that that's that plays such a large aesthetic visual role there. What do you what do you think that these movies say? Because they're other than the big short, the biggest movies to come out that try to capture post crash America. What do you think after all this time looking back on them, they say about that moment of us trying to figure out what had just happened?
1: Yeah, I, I think for pain and gain my thought on that when I was watching it immediately after was just it's so calculated, and you can just see them in a way, it's like the Wolf, Wall Street version of, like, in the sense that it's like, Bay is like, I can't help my like this. Massive social catastrophes just happened, I and mean, mm-hmm. the only thing I can do is like he's just the Jordan Belfort, right? Like he's like I'm just gonna make a Michael Bay movie. About <laughs> it. you know, like it's all I know how to do. It. Like yeah, can yeah. You wanna buy the pen, or you do you want? Can you sell me this pen? Yeah, it's literally like two hours of him saying, "Can you sell, can me, sell this me this pen?" pen? <laughs> 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 it's like, and you can see it being like I can't just do you know that people have been hurt by this. This is big thing, you know you could see them in the meeting just being like, this is, you know, we have to, you know, everything's getting serious now. The fun time's over, you know, gravy trains over. We can't just do transformers. We got to, you know, have serious material. I got this script about these lunatic murderers. Uh, You know, you want to do that? Yeah. I should do, you know, you can see that he's just kind of actively trying to rebrand in the moment, you know, Mm -hmm. just to stay topical and relevant. And it's a total failure because it has nothing to do with anything he actually cares about or interested in, which is like the suffering of human beings, which yeah. <laughs> is what Scorsese is fundamentally interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of my thought on pain and um And yeah, I think, I think for Scorsese, I think it's interesting that I thought it was nice that he didn't, it, it had the hallmarks of his gangster mood or at least Goodfellas and Casino there's the rise, there's the fall, there's the, like, you know, he knows how what's appealing about it, like you said, but he also isn't presenting them as these sort of total psychopaths. And I think, which is kind of what makes it more pessimistic, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like everybody is caught up in this thing and there's no stopping it. And it's just going to keep going. And I think, yeah, I think, I guess that's kind of just my thought on it. um, That, he doesn't have any, you know, he can critique it and show why it happens and is appealing, but like is kind of at a loss as to move beyond it and doesn't feel great about that either. But in which is, you know, well, what is it now? Eight years after, we're still kind of in that situation.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. So 2013, I, right? Yeah is, yeah. is that... I always fuck up the movie years, so um, I will yeah. add that to the show notes as I do every single time I do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that that's right, is that when I take a look at this, I also think about, you know, how big, like, frat culture was in this mo- moment, how big EDM and festivals were in this moment. And mm-hmm. there seemed to be this sort of, like inability to really access the suffering that was going on there. Like even the recovery felt like this like intermediate thing that was kind of happening and kind of not, you just like couldn't put your finger on what was going down. You mm-hmm. know? And these movies really, to me, like, yeah, show there's this sort of like a boardroom path and then there's sort of the pessimism, but there was no, there didn't really seem to be anything going on i mean everybody was also comparatively happy to have obama around you know people Mm -hmm. thought that the adults were still in the room Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah there's definitely the sense that it's definitely like pre-2016 there's definitely the sense that it's like it's bad but at some level it's harmless like yeah
0: or like i guess it'll keep going you know like this will just keep happening there's this sort of like permanence of a shitty situation Mm -hmm. you know and then it's sort of like you know you think that's bad what's coming down the pike is that we get trump and our entire a new form of political instability and insanity with him and COVID on top of it
1: right and just this massive cliff like the the sort of simmering legitimacy crisis like just become mushrooms yeah i i mean i don't um i mean maybe that's a problem with the scorsese version is that he's not we don't get any real account we just know it's bad because it's illegal right like we don't
0: know who it hurts or how or why mm-hmm. other than his family but even they right. seem sort of like show pieces for most right. of the movie unlike henry hill's relationship with his wife and goodfellas which even though he Fucks around. He never divorces. We're not on a Malay. We don't do divorce, you know. Right, right, right.
1: But also, like, and we have that one scene where he like sells the penny stocks to the plumber or whatever it is. But then he turns it around and he 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 directs the scam from the ordinary guy to the to the one percenters, right? Yeah. And that actually also is part of what makes him more likable from the viewer's perspective. He's there's a Robin Hood element to it. Totally. Um, Because he's also using that wealth to like build his army and his firm of people who are all sort of people. He's basically rescuing from hard times somewhat by you know, Mm -hmm. so at one level or another. So, you know, there's not, um, yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't know that Scorsese really, it's hard to say how much he really (laughs) thinks Jordan's, hurting society or he's just depicting like, this is how things work. Um,
0: Right. I think that's a good way to put it. It's hard to figure out where Jordan Belfort fits in, in a bigger picture, you know, whereas when they screened Goodfellas for the first time in Beverly Hills, people walked out of the movie, right. You know, probably because it spoke a little too closely to like some of the way that those people act, you know, whereas there's this sort of like Bacchanalian, thing of wolf of wall street and also that because the scene on the boat with the fbi agent so changes the tenor and like perspective of the film for me Mm -hmm. because it's like yeah there are bigger things going on so i'm not even like watching the lead guy here what am i watching and am i watching the decay of our culture am i watching you know moral degeneracy am i watching both of those things what's what's happening. And I'm not expecting Scorsese to just be like, this was the point of my movie only to say that the movie seemed like all of us at the time, unable to really put together a coherent understanding of what was right in front of our faces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: And I think, I think
1: largely, cause it's not looking at the victims. I think, I mean, inside job also has that um, has that problem. Right. Uh, or no, I'm thinking of The Big Short. Big Short, yeah. Which I don't know if it came out in a little later, maybe 2015. Yeah, it
0: comes out a little bit later. The other movie that's sort of the, the financial crisis one is um, there's uh, 99 Houses okay. um, or something like that. And that's um, uh, that one's okay. It's kind of moralizing. And then there's Margin Call, okay, which is also a little bit moralizing, but it's a smaller one. And it's basically some guy at a firm realizing that it's all going to go down and he catches it right before it does. And this whole firm has to leap into action to try to save themselves. Right. And
1: I I think they don't, I mean, one of the things I loved about big short is that scene. I think we talked about it. It's actually not one of the very quotable or quoted scenes, but there's a moment where the um, Ryan Gosling character is explaining something to the, the Carell and his gang. and, Mm -hmm. And he's saying, you know, um, oh, you guys think you're big tough. He's asking them to do something extra, and they're like, Oh my god, well that, that mean, if we if we did that, then that means this whole thing is like a house of cards, like all the way down, you know. And he's like, Oh, you think you're big tough, cynical Wall Street guys, but like at, at some level you still believe that
0: mm-hmm.
1: something about this is yeah, just yeah, you're not
0: really you weren't really willing to go all the way with this like I was. He was like, I'm trying to make millions of dollars. On how corrupt this all is. And so we need to short it. And I mean all of it. Whereas they were like, oh yeah, we could make some money. This seems like a problem. Right, right. And he's (laughs) saying the the rot goes all the way down.
1: There's not... And that's how much money we can make. And they're, yeah, they don't understand the depth of it. They, they get that it's like more, it's corrupt and it's more than like a market failure or an inefficiency that they're taking advantage of. They understand that, you know, bad dealing going on, but they don't really understand how systematic and pervasive it is. And even though they kind of pride themselves on not being the Marx and not being the ordinary Joe who believes in the system and is a sucker because he trades his time for money, like they still can't really wrap their heads around how how deep it is it reminds me a lot actually of what we talked about last time in the Downey film of how they're all kind of still struggling to get back into the system mm-hmm. like nobody can let go of like how rotten this thing <laughs> this edifice is mm-hmm. and so people keep trying to struggle to like find some purchase some point where they can just be like no this at least there's this at least we can believe this you know and I, I think, like, so I like to be short for that. Um, but again, like, it doesn't get into the mm-hmm. the pebble in the pond effects of like how this is affecting the wire society and what the political ramifications of that are, which we're gonna find out in 2016. And maybe they just didn't have the insight or prescience. I mean, yeah, in retrospect, it might seem kind of obvious, but maybe not, but I, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm sort of too far gone, uh, but (laughs) I always have to wonder like how much they can keep playing this game before the pitchforks and the torches start coming out and they I remember distinctly in 2008 when there was a crash because I was in New York at the time, the, it was kind of like that moment when everybody freaked out when Bernie won Nevada because they were like, oh my God, they're going to, what was it? Chris Matthews said they're going to put us in Central Park and execute us. Right. <laughs> For, I forgot <laughs> that guy said that like, live on air. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you could see the panic and you could see them being re- like all kind of realizing in the moment, like, oh shit, game over. Like this whole fucking scam that we've been running is, is now hitting a limit. And I remember that in 2008, there was very much the sense in, and, um, and that was in one of those documentaries that, that are very forgettable because they're so moralizing. There was a moment where the bankers went to Obama and said, like within weeks, you know, like when Lehman collapsed, it was like within that seven day period. They all like flew to Washington and were like on their knees saying, regulate us because we can't there's no incentive within our system to control our behavior. And if we don't control our behavior, it's going to collapse everything. Mm -hmm. And within that, like a two week period or whatever that was, they had enacted um, the necessary measures to keep everything afloat. So they didn't have to get re-regulated. And then about two weeks after that, they all started shitting on Obama and saying like, you know, who does this guy think he is? And he's fucking up capitalism, Right. But there was a moment there where they were like legit panicked, like Jamie and all of those guys were like, Oh fuck. And, and also you saw it on the newscasts and they were literally saying, look, like we're ready for the
0: pitchforks and torches to come out. You know? I think that's what was so sad about the closest we got to that was Occupy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the, the weird thing is that it, it, like, even those guys know, even the people at the top of the, the the con know that it's, well, they know it's a con, but they also know that they're afraid of some repercussion. And that's why they dump so much effort into, like, propaganda efforts, right? And, like, mm-hmm. because, you know, they understand at some level, like, that all of that, the system requires that. And then, I, they yeah, they were even shocked by just the sort of how it all just keeps chugging along. Yeah, and, Occupy and, happened
0: three years later.
1: Uh, yeah, it took three years for Occupy to happen, and it didn't even uh, happen in a way that was, like, le- legitimately threatening. And for me, that kind of even goes back to the moment of the Iraq War. That was sort of my moment in my in the moment of my memory where it was like, there's hundreds of thousands. I, I was at the First Avenue protests against the war. Mm-hmm. 100,000 people, they estimated, were on First Avenue. No, like, 300 camera <laughs> protesters or something. Global protests, mm-hmm. and you go home and turn on CNN, and it's like the 300 counter protests are at a low angle makes it look like there's 8,000 of them. Mm-hmm. And and Bush said, "Yeah, it's a focus group. I don't govern by focus group. Like, don't give a shit what you guys yeah. think. Don't care. Doesn't matter to me at all. And I'm just going to keep doing this. And that was like, okay, this is different. Like, we're now in a place where." They don't even feel like they have to repress it. They can just keep going, and nothing's going to stop it. And yeah, and then the financial collapse happened, and I, even they, I think, were thinking they didn't really realize they were in this new paradigm space either. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "Yeah, we're we're uh, <laughs> you know getting our escape vehicles ready because <laughs> we don't want the mob to crash our place at the Hamptons." And then they were like, "But yeah, no mob." no real danger of any consequence and yeah so i think like the filmmakers i mean i guess they can be forgiven for not thinking at that time five years later four to five years later like maybe there wouldn't be any social
0: repercussions yeah Yeah, exactly like it it was the sense of the second obama term feeling like a type of suspended animation was so palpable when these movies came out you know, because you assumed that the next Republican that was going to come along was going to be like Mitt Romney. Right. You know, um, and now it's all different. And I don't know what to do. And Black Rock is the Fed. So, um, <laughs> you know, I think as far as why nothing feels possible, that's a good overview of our cultural response via two movies to the financial collapse. What actually happened socially after the financial collapse and how we're still struggling to piece together our reality, even all these years later. So thank you, Josh, for joining me. This was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. I had a great time.
0: All right, guys, stay safe out there.